All right, welcome in to another episode of Clearing the Board Podcast, presented by Nachos and Analysis, and I'm your host, Drew Archer. And today, uh, we have a jam-packed episode for you. Uh, Got a lot to cover, as you will find out as this episode goes on. Um, Three guests on today. Uh, We have uh, Dustin and Michael behind the restaurant concept Beeston Company in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, as a guest today, as well as uh, my beautiful wife, Emily. She will join me later in the episode to discuss uh, our time at the Tacos and Tequila Fiesta. Um, So um, it was a great time, and Emily and I hop on the mic as soon as we get back from uh, a day of watching wrestling, stuffing our face full of tacos, and uh, enjoying all the tequila drinks that um, we could handle. So, um, big episode. Appreciate you joining in. Before we get started with everything, do want to plug the Instagram page. We got to grow that. Um, as you know, we're an international podcast, got millions of listeners all over the world, uh, but our Instagram is struggling. So, please follow Clearing the Board on Instagram, uh, where we. Um, update a lot of stuff especially on our stories anytime i go to one of these festivals that you hear me talking about uh my instagram story is uh full of great content that kind of stuff so if you want to know what's going on what you might can expect for an upcoming episode instagram is the place to check that out as well as the cool artwork we put out there for our graphics so uh follow us there um and as always we can't do a podcast without talking about our beer sponsor 13 stripes brewery um if you followed along the last two episodes um i dropped the ball as far as uh, having a 13 stripes beer when recording that is not the case today i went and picked up some some beer uh from their taylor's mill location and uh michael uh the owner there hooked me up with a unreleased can by the time you're listening it will be out um but um today i will be enjoying the freedom juice their double ipa coming in at a solid 8.5 um this is going to be a solid beer to kick off my day so i'm looking forward to this and i know i always talk about the can art but this this may be the best one they've had yet and you've probably also heard me say that quite a bit uh but if you're a fan of bright colors um this is your can right here. So a lot of color, cool design, and um, excited to try this one. Uh, so uh, 13 Stripes, two great locations. Like I mentioned, Taylor's Mill, as well as the one going out towards Easley right on the river with delicious food and, of course, that great beer. Uh, but check out 13 Stripes. They've always been big supporters of the podcast. We love their beer, favorite beer in town. So uh, 13 Stripes. Let's get into the beer. Let's do that famous beer crack. Ooh, there we go. Might have got a little uh, beer splatter on the old computer. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. So, check them out. 13 Stripes. You are probably going to have to excuse me. I'm not one to typically get allergies, but uh, the last couple of days, my... I think my allergies have been acting up, so I feel a little stuffy. Um, but nonetheless, we got a podcast episode to do. So uh, we introduced this a couple weeks ago, the Rock Elites post of the day. And we're going to start today's show off with that before we get into our interviews uh, later in the show. Uh, so this Rock Elites post of the day is brought to you by Matt Garrett. And it's kind of fitting with. Uh, our topic last week and um, what we discussed later at the end of the episode, but it involves margaritas. Um, but this one may surprise you a little bit. So uh, here's what Matt Garrett had to say. Uh, Thanks, margaritas. With no prices on the menu, you would think my server would warn me I was about to order a $57 margarita. Daniela was super rude, never brought us the things we asked for, and no manager in the building to talk to. After getting the wrong food for my kids, no ketchup for their fries, cold beans for my wife, 
and no refill on our water, the cook in quotations, gave us a $5 off for our inconvenience. This is a $200 meal with tip for two drinks, two entrees, two kids meals, and a cheese dip. We won't be back. If I wanted to get, well, explicitive here, I would have went to my, let me just start that sentence over again. If I wanted to get effed, I would have went to a brothel. Does this look like a $60 margarita to you? And he posted a picture. Um, so, uh, and he also included a picture of the margarita and his receipt. And it is, in fact, a $56 margarita. One thing that he also did not mention, they also bought a second margarita, a jalapeno margarita. That was $32.99. Um, so, two margaritas... For the cost of 88 bucks, 90 bucks, that's absolutely ridiculous. So I totally understand uh, Matt's gripe here. Um, and then I kind of scrolled through the comments, and basically everyone was kind of agreeing with him. Um, what, what, what constitutes charging 60 bucks or 33 bucks for a margarita? Um, I know I certainly wouldn't pay for that. Um, you would have to have some extremely high-end tequila, I would assume. Um, obviously, you would want to hope they're making their own uh, margarita mix and not using just some uh, pre-bought store stuff. But I- I'm with Matt on this one. How can you, in good conscience, serve somebody a $60 margarita that you don't even advertise it as $60? How can a server allow you to order that without like giving you a heads up like sure there's plenty of places that don't have their prices on their menu um and i'll order drinks regardless of there not being a price on there however when i when i agree to buy this drink that doesn't have a price listed i i would never fathom that that drink is going to cost me sixty dollars um I can only imagine when they got the bill, what went through their mind. That would, that'd make my heart hurt. I would, uh, probably have palpitations, um, and definitely want to talk to a manager. And the fact that there was no one there to kind of discuss this problem with, with the customer, um, is also a little, uh, concerning. So $60 margarita, I believe, I want to say that the most expensive margarita I ever got was it was actually Emily and I's honeymoon. And we went on a a cruise and I believe it was like our last stop of the cruise. We went to Costa Maya, Mexico. We spent most of the time while we were there doing a tour of the, the Mayan ruins, the Mayan pyramids. And that was really cool. And then right before we got back on the boat, we did a little shopping and there was a restaurant uh, right there uh, before you kind of walk back on the dock to get on the ship. And we were like, well, we came to Mexico. We haven't had a margarita or anything like that yet. So why don't we just grab a drink before we get on the on the ship? And we had made some friends uh, who, coincidentally enough, we met at the hot tub one night. And then they just happened to be the people in the room right next to us. Uh, but we met up with them and grabbed some chips and salsa, some chips and guacamole, some margaritas. So it was four of us. We each got a margarita and one order of chips and salsa, one order of um, guacamole. We should have known something was up. And because there were no menus, we asked for a menu. They're like, oh, we have no menu. Uh, what would you like? And so it was just like trying to figure out, okay, do you have this? Do you have that? That kind of stuff. We knew we wanted margaritas. Um, and we also heard from multiple people there working at a lot of the stores and stuff. Costa Maya is not one of the more frequent um, stops for cruise ships, apparently. And so they said that we were the last ship for probably a couple months. So it makes sense that they were going to try to get every last dime out of everyone there that they possibly could. When they brought us the bill, not only did they have menus, they just kind of wrote on just like a torn piece of paper what our total was. Um, the chips and salsa were $20. The chips and guacamole were $20 and all the margaritas were $20. Um, so between four drinks and 
uh, order a salsa, order a, of guacamole, uh, you're looking at $120. You heard that correct, $120. The margarita, no, no, it was not one of those massive fancy margaritas. It came in a 12-ounce plastic cup, 12 ounces, um, and it was just a standard margarita, not $20 worth of margaritas. Um, not $20 worth of sal- uh, salsa or guacamole. Um, so I can only imagine paying $60 for a margarita. That $20 margarita left me um, quite frustrated and a uh, little to be desired. So um, that's our Rock Hill Eats post of the week. Uh, what are your thoughts on a $60 margarita? What is, what's the most expensive drink that you've got, whether knowingly or unknowingly? Uh, like these folks. So, um, yeah, I think I'd have a heart attack if somebody brought me a bill that had a $38 margarita and a $60 margarita on it. That would, uh, I'm not one of those people. I try to be understanding. I'm not one of those people. I'm not paying for that. Well, man, I consumed it. So I, I should pay for it. However, um, that's a bit ridiculous. So that is, our Rock Hill Eats post of the week. So, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we have Michael and Dustin from Beeson Company of Fort Worth, Texas joining us. They just opened uh, on April 1st, so just about a little over two months in to their new concept of Fort Worth, and they were gracious enough to um, give some of their time to uh, discuss their new concept on their days off. So, uh, appreciate them for coming on. Uh, Michael is a, a, a former, um, uh, classmate of mine when I went to Johnson and Wales in Charlotte. Um, so it was cool catching up with him after just kind of following along on his journey, uh, on social media since we graduated. So, um, really excited about, uh, what they got going on and uh, let's get into it. All right. We're joined today by, uh, two special guests. Uh, Michael Arlt and Dustin Lee, uh, the two men behind Beeston Company in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome on, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Um, after a few technical difficulties on my part and not considering time differences, uh, we're finally making it happen. So I appreciate y'all taking uh, a little bit of time out of your days off uh, to to talk with me. That's time well spent. Uh, so full transparency as a resident of South Carolina, um, not very well versed in the, the food scene of Fort Worth. Um, however, Michael, you and I went to culinary school together in Charlotte, yeah. um, met, uh, at like an orientation, I believe it was for uh roadrunner. Uh, you have any, yeah. uh, memories from, uh, back in the day doing the whole roadrunner gig? Oh, I've got a lot of memories from that roadrunner <laughs> gig. That was a really interesting job and, you know, just kind of the the schools and the and the and the institutes that we would go to were all very different and all very weird. And I think the biggest thing I remember is all of us kind of reconvening, you know, like once a week or whatever via you know phone or text, whatever it was, and everybody sharing their, their horror stories of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely uh it was cool. It was uh I think I grew a lot during that time, but it was definitely a very um interesting uh interesting job just traveling around they just trust these random college kids to just go into high schools and just hope they promote johnson wells in a good way so (laughs) (laughs) they were very trusting yes uh, they've since gotten rid of that program i'm told Uh, i can't imagine why (laughs) (laughs) Um, so michael since graduating uh you've done a lot professionally just me kind of following you on instagram and facebook over the years um what uh what got you to this point or what led up to this point where you're now um running and operating uh beasting company with dustin yeah um well i mean after we left charlotte i went back to florida and worked under my mentor for some time and kind of just grew under his tutelage and decided to follow him from florida to maine and you know during that time frame i, I met my girlfriend uh at the time wife now um that brought me back to florida that gave me my first introduction to Texas because after we moved back to Florida, she had a, a, a gig in Houston. Um, and so I went over to Houston for I don't know, 18 months or just had two years, somewhere around two years. And, uh, you know, was, was, did a lot of working there and just kind of fall in love with Texas as it was. And then her job also brought her to Chicago. 
So I ended up going from Maine to Florida to Houston and then from Houston to Chicago. So we were in Chicago for just shy of four years. Um, and that was just an incredible experience. And the city was amazing. And, and between Houston and Chicago, I felt like I grew considerably on the, you know, on the back end of things and the running of the of, uh, restaurant processes and whatnot. And, uh, you know, 2020 happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I became sort of a, a you know, a refugee of the industry, just like so many, especially in cities like Chicago, New York, whatever. And all of us decided that we need to go back to the beautiful South. Uh, we had had previous experience in Texas. We had family in the DFW area and we kind of crash landed uh, somewhere right between a, a town called Capel, right between uh, Dallas and Fort Worth. Cause I didn't know what was going to happen down here. <laughs> yeah. And so I just went fishing with my resume. And is that how uh, uh, you and Dustin connected? Oh yeah. yeah. Dustin reached out to me on, uh, what was it? LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. He sent me a message, told me to come meet him in uh, Fort Worth. And I had only been to Fort Worth probably two or three times at that point. Came down to this beautiful little uh, area of the near South side, Fort Worth. You know, it's a very Carolina graceful Southern type thing. You know, the tree lit streets, you know, and you know, lots of mm-hmm. shade, which is a little bit unusual for this area of, uh, of DFW. And, um, you know, we see this pink building and, you know, Dustin's standing in the doorway, <laughs> sweating his tail off. <laughs> and I go, are you, are you Dustin? He's like, yeah, are you Michael? <laughs> it's like, yeah. So we took me into this uh, old restaurant space that I'm sure you can tell you tales about uh, and just kind of painted me a vision. And uh, we went from there. I mean, it was a few drinks, then several drinks, and then a few different evenings of drinks that we kind of came to some kind of agreement of uh, how we wanted to proceed from there. So prior to opening Beast and Company, y'all had not worked together before? No, no, maybe in a past life. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're connected somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, uh, what can you tell me about the concept of Beast and Company? And uh, I have, I'm really interested in the name and how you decided on that as well. Yeah, well, um, you know, to answer the question about the name, a lot of people ask. Um, so uh, I have this uh, artist that I, I really admire and I've, I've met before. And um, uh, he's a naturalist painter. He's uh, uh, in the same vein as like uh, uh, John Audubon, right? Except uh, he paints much more macabre and elaborate scenes um, like Pancha Tantra type scenes in... Um, these on these giant canvases Mm -hmm. um and uh you know before i was introduced to um his his name is walton ford uh before i was introduced to him he uh there was a a uh, rolling stones article about him and the title of the article was walton ford paints some serious fucking beasts and um i just i thought that that was just a really sexy idea um you know that this this wild man was uh painting these these crazy elaborate uh you know paintings of um you know harsh realities of uh you know being wild and Mm -hmm. uh, you know so that really stuck with me and that's some, you know, some of the attitude that I wanted to bring to the restaurant scene in Fort Worth. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. And a lot of times you wonder whenever you see names like that, if there's a deeper meaning, which it sounds like there very much is with y'all's, <laughs> uh, or if it's just something that kind of comes up on a whim, but that's awesome. Um, now I've spent my pretty much my entire life working in restaurants, my grandparents owned restaurants. So from the time I was tall enough to reach the dish pit, I was doing something um, in the kitchen, but uh, I've never created a concept myself uh, from the ground up. What all went into opening this restaurant, especially kind of in the COVID post COVID area of the timeline. Oh, it was uh, an absolutely, uh, immersive Mm -hmm. experience i would say i mean there's just so many things to think about like what i like to joke about with our employees is every single thing is a decision right from uh you know what paper towels you're going to use in the restrooms to 
um, you know, what you're going to put on the back bar versus what you're, you know, what liquors you're going to hide under the bar. Um, the color of the doorknobs. The color of the doorknobs. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, what coffee mugs you use, uh, you know, even, I mean, just even the most benign, benign things like, uh, you know, who is going to be your vendor for sanitizer spray? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, you know, all of that is, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a uh, it's a process where you make all these tiny decisions and hopefully by the time you open, they have all been made and, and you've uh, you know, you you have a good direction in, in which you're headed. Um, but that's just not reality at all i mean you're you're always going to have things that you you overlooked you um you know even in the world's finest restaurants you know, oh, yeah. you're, you're gonna be <laughs> running around like a chicken with your head cut off that first week you know you know come with things that you you just didn't think about like uh a good example is the the takeout containers we even have takeout <laughs> containers on our first night, what a crazy! Oh, that, that, the oh, that caused such a small riot of people. What do you mean you have nothing I can take my food home? And I'm like, well, I was really intending on you to eat that here, but uh, <laughs> I didn't think about your 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 extra food. And I think the same week too was you know like, where do you dump the used grease? Like, damn, we didn't get that set up with somebody to have a, a bin or something to pour it in. Like, you're so used to going into restaurants and the, these things are all kind of there, but when you're doing it with nothing there to begin with, man. It is a, I mean, we made checklists, I don't know, four or five times with just hundreds of little walkthrough items on there. And that's just part one of the opening process. Part two is dealing with contractors and, uh, you know, working within their timelines. And in terms of post-COVID uh, world, I mean, that was, you know, there was a, a labor issue, like like you wouldn't believe. Getting any kind of crew out here didn't just was never going to happen. So between Dustin, myself, uh, the contractor, and his inept friend, uh, we, we were crawling around the place to, to physically put everything together. So when he says it's an immersion, you know, if you didn't know how to, you know, lay tile down, for instance, well, God, you were going to learn real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all were very hands-on to say the least. From, we know every corner of the space. I mean, intimately, I mean, if there's a different scratch on there. We'll see it and go, that wasn't there two days ago, <laughs> three days ago. So you mentioned uh, the, the potential of, having trouble getting employees and people in there to work and that kind of stuff. How is that um, in the Fort Worth area these days? Are are you pretty well staffed up? Is it still hard to find help in that area? I feel like we've been sort of fortunate in general because I think we've got, we've been able to capture, I think the better half of the talent mm -hmm. and in any circumstance, that's always the smaller pool to dip from. So, like, for instance, I think in the, in, in the kitchen, I think that I've been extremely fortunate to have a, an amazing staff. I mean, they're all incredibly talented, uh, very professional. You know, one's trained in New Orleans, one trained in New York, uh, one's a local boy. And, uh, you know, I actually have two from New York now. That's right. i got a new guy starting tomorrow. And, um, you know, just been really fortunate on that. And then in the front of the house, we've gotten, you know, I'd say 60, 70 percent really tightened up with uh, just industry professionals. The challenge has been kind of following to the support help, you know, the food running, the uh, the hosting, the, you know, then a couple server spots. And that's where we've been having the difficulty sort of filling in since opening, including just finding uh, another bartender, for instance, that wasn't like a, a college, you know, bar, you know, yeah. pop topper. And I think that that sort of speaks to where Fort Worth is at currently. You know, that's just there's not a ton of places that are really... Um, intimate with their dining process they're just a lot of turn and burns and a lot of steakhouses and that's the caliber of staff that you're likely to find if you were just to you know go out there and cast a net so that's where the trouble's been sort of weeding through uh you know just this a mass of people that you know couldn't couldn't you know <laughs> couldn't, couldn't cut open it. A, a, yeah yeah exactly couldn't cut <laughs> it and you know that that's where the biggest struggles have been and uh you know again i think we've been fortunate to get who we've had and we have bare bones minimum in house covered, but there are some times where you feel that. <laughs> oh yeah. That sounds about like every restaurant in America right now. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that's probably right. Um, so 
uh, after reading the uh, article that Eater put out, uh, I really liked the the concept of highlighting the Old South using New South ingredients, um, as well as the international influences that I think a lot of times kind of get forgotten about when it comes to Southern food. Uh, how have you incorporated uh, these things into your menu? A lot of it was the the Asian touches because, you know, we can go on and on about the Southern classics, you know, and, and kind of tie its roots. And quite a few of those are fairly obvious. They should be fairly obvious in their, their origin, uh, whether it be from France, Spain, uh, Africa, you know. But then the massive influence in the South that's been there for decades at this point, and in my opinion, is officially Southern, uh, is this uh, Southeastern Asian influence. And ever since the Vietnam War, I mean, there's the, the largest population of Vietnamese people in the country reside right off of uh, Houston and they extend all the way over to Louisiana and in the naval spots in between there, you've got Filipinos, you've got Indonesians, you've got uh, Thai. I mean, there's just this massive influence down there and you'll see it a lot in like the, the Viet Cajun cooking and a lot of the Southern staples that we all just kind of knew there's just different spins to it, or they're bringing their direct uh, inspiration to it. And it's fairly obvious why they landed there. You think about climate and sort of landscape, a lot of it's very similar to sort of what they're used to, what they're, where they're from, where their families are from. Uh, and a lot of the produce is fairly the same in terms of uh, you know, shellfish and seafood and things like that. So I had a big, uh, you know, a big chip on my shoulder that I wanted to make sure that was highlighted. And, and like you said, these international influences that get lost, I wanted to make sure we had a couple staple dishes on the menu that would read something similar like the bisque. We have the lobster bisque on the menu, but it's a, it's a Thai lobster bisque. And it's made with coconut milk and there's no dairy in there. And there's a dumpling in there or whatever for some, some nice garnishes. But the whole point is you get this really sweet, rich, spiny lobster from the Gulf. So we're still trying to use ingredients that are similar to its, uh, its origins. Uh, but, you know, it's also Fort Worth, Texas. It's pretty damn hot. And I don't think anybody's looking for, you know, big, heavy, creamy soup, you know, when it's 106 out in August. So this is one of those light, fragrant things that are, is, it's satisfying. But, you know, it's coconut milk. I mean, it's... <laughs> Mm-hmm. A lot lighter than heavy cream. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> so it was a real big point of mine to make sure that we put on Southern classics, like the chicken liver pate to me is another one of those things that's like uh, throughout the South, there's always, you know, fried pate or just, you know, the schmear pate, riette, all that stuff. It's extremely common. And uh, I wanted to make sure that was something we highlighted to be on the table to snack on. This is what, you know, my uh, my grandmother would do or uh, somebody would do when they just put that on the table and kind of, while well, everybody kind of got it. And when we were kids, we hated it. It was freaky. Then <laughs> one day you go, that's just like fancy bologna. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we were really adamant to have fun with the menu, you know, but just kind of look at what's around us as influence. I mean, th- th- these influences are here, you know, and you can't ignore it. And it's been here for decades. So to say that that's not part of the South anymore, I think it's a, it's a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. What have been some of y'all's uh, more popular dishes since opening? Uh, I hear surprisingly that the rabbit sells out <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, that is a, I did not see that coming. And like I said, you kind of go through Fort Worth and, uh, you know, if you go to Dallas, you see a lot more of a cosmopolitan influence there. And obviously you go to Houston, it's extremely uh, diverse. Austin's real hipstery, right? But Fort Worth's got a lot of more, uh, we'll call them good old boy culture, you know, and anything that seems slightly foreign, um, it, it just is off-putting. And I thought that Rabbit would be sort of that kind of a gamble because, you know, most people, at least around here, don't necessarily eat rabbit often mm-hmm. i thought it'd be a fun dish certainly it's a popular ingredient in texas got there everywhere i mean absolutely everywhere so we put that on the menu to kind of see what happened and my god <laughs> i'm butchering rabbits like you wouldn't believe i <laughs> it's got a, the technique down yeah. right now that's for sure yeah i know how to get them down and and, and, and you know within one hour i get the whole case done now so you know we've come a long way with that butchery but uh you know that's been a, a hidden success Another one was the uh, the pork collar that we did um, with the scallop ravioli. So that dish itself had a couple different origins to it. Um, you know, obviously pork and you know, one of my favorite meats to possibly eat. But people like a good surf and turf. I just don't like the idea of a steak and a you know, giant lobster tail and some butter. I just think that's kind of, you know, a little bit of a yawn fest. And when I was, uh, my wife and I went to France last, last year, I think. Yeah. And uh, we had a... A, a foie gras and langoustine dish when we were in France. I just remember thinking to myself, my God, you know, this, this foie gras and sweet shellfish. And I started playing on that and I was like, I want to bring that in, but you know, we've got to make sure this is 
representative of what we do here. I was like, well, people love a surf and turf. Scallops are all over the place. So scallops and pork, we already know, go great together. I was like, we know foie gras tastes great with sweet shellfish. I just experienced that for the first time when I was in France, and I didn't put that together. And then I thought, <laughs> well, God knows foie gras tastes good with uh, pork, too. And then we decided instead of putting a big slab of, you know, goose or duck liver on the plate, we decided to put that into the sauce. Uh, so we actually had like a, the braising reduction from the from the pork collar that we just slowly cook. And then we threw duck liver into that, blended it up, and basically looks like the fanciest damn brown gravy. <laughs> <laughs> you it it very, very approachable. Right. And, you know, I think that that's kind of the magic of that dish. And then, you know, the the uh, mushrooms, you yep. know, cooked down in the vinegar is just, I mean, it just really makes that flaw sauce sink yeah and then the mustard absorb that gravy yeah that sounds amazing i'm sure that is i'm sure that is an amazing tasting gravy that was the other surprise yes foie gras and again a fairly tamed uh, food scene more or less yeah so we were selling foie gras anything and that or that shocked me as well i was like damn i didn't really (laughs) but it looks like good uh it looks like the colonel's gravy really (laughs) i'm not mad about that at all i'm really happy that kind of looks that way finger looking good yeah, <laughs> those so, have been a couple of our biggest hitters for sure. Uh, so, uh, Dustin, you open your doors on April first. Is that correct? Right, right. Uh, so, what have the challenges uh, that you faced in, in that first two months of operation? Just being kind of the, the new kids on the block. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it's probably with every restaurant, but um, you know. We are kind of the, uh, well, let me preface this comment by saying, you know, I can't say that they didn't warn us, but, (laughs) um, you know, when we had press come in, uh, you know, or uh, just local people, uh, you know, in the know come in uh, during the build out process, you know, they they would all make this strange comment where they would say, oh, well, you know, we don't really like outsiders here. Good luck. Oh, wow. You know, the <laughs> ominous parting of ways. And every single one of them made that comment, did they yes, not? They like, did. And so, you know, um, but I didn't really think that we were outsiders. I mean, I'm a I'm a Texas boy, you know, and, you know, this is, you know, where I'm from. I'm, I'm very proudly Texan. I haven't ever lived anywhere else save for one, one time. Um, but, uh, and I just, I didn't think I was an outsider. Um, but, uh, you know, when we opened the doors, it just, it did not seem like we had that honeymoon period that many, you know, <laughs> restaurants go through, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where, I mean, you're just stacked to the brim and, uh, you know, you're full every night and, and people are checking it out. It was, um, it was a very tame opening. And, you know, I think maybe part of that is people or are you know people in this particular city take longer to warm up to an idea um whether it's a new idea or whatnot um you know we don't have a burger on the menu we only have a couple of steaks um it's there's no chicken um it's it's a it's a different kind of place than than many places here in town um you know we do uh, full composed dishes were not a la carte like a, uh, you know, a traditional steakhouse would be. Um, so it is a different kind of place than, you know, what they're used to. Um, so just getting the word out that we are, you know, it's good. It tastes good here, right. Is it's been difficult. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, that they're going to, it, diners are going to gravitate naturally, you know, and you and I would do the same thing to where uh, you feel comfortable. And, you know, uh, we're trying to make this place a, a more comfortable 
uh, dining experience. There's no pretense involved in our uh, our service. Um, so, and that kind of may be a different kind of experience than what the diner is looking for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't wear you know the traditional button-up, goofy white shirts and and um, uh, you know we don't have ties. The, the ties yeah. or anything like that. Um, you know, this is a much more approachable dining experience and and um, you know that the younger younger crowd seems to enjoy, but maybe not the um, the older generations you know, you just don't connect that kind of dining experience in your head as being worth or being the same value. Until they eat here. Until you eat here. And then they eat here. And then that's when they turn around and go, oh, actually it was not a bad experience or or whatever the case may be. And I think that's been the biggest hurdle was just kind of getting people to understand that we don't have shiny things all over the dining room and a bunch of stuffiness going on because we wanted you to kind of come in and get that same caliber of food. But not feel like you need to be uncomfortable and, and button up. You can come in in a, in a t-shirt and jeans and have the same caliber of food as hopefully you can get anywhere that you, you deem nice. Just we don't want you to feel like it has to be such an event. And at the mm-hmm. same time, to tip to that balance, they have the people that, you know, the, the business people or the well-to-do people that they don't feel like they're downgrading their night to come in here. You know, we were trying to walk the line where we could kind of offer everybody that convenience and nobody feels misplaced. And honestly, the biggest uh, inspiration for me, I know you remember, um, prices yeah absolutely was culinary uh moments uh, from my career was looking uh, when you go in there there's no seating and you go outside and you're by the train you're on that street and you can see a ferrari or a coupe de ville and you'd see a guy in a suit and a guy in gym shorts and a guy in a tank top all one 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 all sitting on the on the on the sidewalk eating chicken yeah right i just remember thinking to myself that's the coolest things everybody knows it's just that damn good that they don't give a damn where, where they're going and getting it. They just know that this is where they want to be to eat. And I remember that sticking with me forever. Like, God, that's where you got to capture that line where everybody feels like that's where we want to be. Nobody feels like, you know, it's not too much or not too little for them. So. Yeah. I kind of, I like the the approach. You're trying to get them out of their, their comfort zone a little bit, but also making sure they're comfortable and when, yep. when they're there, uh, Michael, you'll get a kick out of this, bringing up prices, chicken coop. So, um, I eight years ago started teaching culinary in Greenville, South Carolina, and I was going through the pantry and everything that the previous instructor had left. And there was this box of boxes and I pull it out and it's an entire case of prices, chicken coop, chicken boxes in Greenville, South Carolina. I have no idea (laughs) how they got there. Uh, I don't know if they got them as a donation or what, but (laughs) Uh, they still smell like the restaurant or what? Uh, you know what? So they may have <laughs> well, maybe a, maybe a grease stain in the corner of it. <laughs> Lucky didn't see a gallon of tea at the bottom of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so guys, this has been awesome. Uh, one last question before I let you go. Um, what are y'all's uh, goals moving forward uh, with Beeson company? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I mean uh, the biggest uh, hurdle right now is is you know just getting this place full um you know we'd we'd like to be doing two turns a night at least on on friday and saturday nights right but beyond that you know we're we're definitely looking into uh you know new meal periods whether that's brunch or lunch i mean we're we're still evaluating that and, uh, you know, Michael and I ha- have a couple of concepts up or up our sleeve. Um, so, you know, just be watching for those. It's uh, they're going to be pretty special and pretty cool. We don't like the idea of uh, diminishing one property. We want the concept of one property to be what it is and not sort of dilute it into all these different directions. And in my opinion, I feel like if you're going to do that, then you need to have something else. So I think the future is, you know, we'll have this and do we have another Beeson company or do we have something of a similar nature or something totally different, but another thing that's from our past or, you know, we all have different experiences and we kind of want to find ways that's most appropriate to sort of portray them. Right. And we don't want to do it all in one place because if you've had a, a reasonably normal life, there should be quite a few different angles of your experience that are you know contradicting each other, you know, uh, you know, so we really are excited. The idea of just kind of broadening that out. We want to make sure that we 
take uh, Fort Worth. We want this restaurant specifically to, to, to remind Fort Worth that they're not a small town. Uh, they're the 12th largest city in the United States. It's the second or first, depending who you're looking at, uh, most moved to city. There's people coming from California, from Chicago, from New York. Uh, and we want to make sure that this is a place that those people would also recognize as something that would blend in in, in L.A. or you know, in one of the burbs of Chicago and neighborhoods of, of Chicago or borough of New York. And at the same time, be a Fort Worth landmark that the local people feel like that's theirs because it was born and raised here. So they can stake their claim to it too. You know, this could hopefully be that right. place to sort of bridge that gap. I think the, the, most imp- the most important thing that we want to convey is Fort Worth is our city now. Michael just bought a house here, yep. right? I mean, we're renting up north of town looking for a home, <laughs> right? But this is our base of operation. We are local. This is this is what we want to do. This is the city we want to be in. And, uh, you know, we're not outsiders anymore. We want to do this here. Absolutely. Well, I, I look forward to uh, following along, even if it is just uh, from afar in South Carolina. Um, how can how can listeners uh, get more information about y'all? Yeah, I think you're on Instagram, correct? Yeah, we're on uh, Instagram. Uh, we've got a uh, Facebook uh, the website. Uh, we're pretty active on all three. Um, we like to update things through that. Um, you know, and they can always feel free too, to reach out directly through uh, Instagram, especially and we're very responsive. You know, we like talking to people and we like answering questions. We want to make sure everybody knows that we're not some giant conglomerate. You're looking at the two of us and that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. You know, we, we answer everything. So, you know, you don't have to worry about going through this hurdle of uh, lawyers and all kinds of nonsense to get to <laughs> one person to get one possible, you know, approved. An- we'll just answer. So, Absolutely. you know, always, always open for that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate, appreciate it guys. Thank y'all for coming on. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. Thanks Drew. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Well, a huge shout out to uh, those guys for coming on and uh, talking to us a little bit about Beeson Company. So, um, as you know, we got listeners all over the place. So, if you are a Texan, check out Beeson Company in Fort Worth. Um, Now, it's time to transition a little bit, mix it up, uh, and do a little review of the tacos and tequila fiesta uh, with my wife, Emily. So, Let's get into that. All right. We're here to do a tacos and tequila fiesta recap. I'm here with my lovely wife, Miss Emily. Hello. Is it tacos and tequila fiesta or festival? It's fiesta. What did I say? You said fiesta. Okay. Well, last week, whenever I was recording the episode, I kept accidentally saying festival. Oh, I thought it was festival the whole time. Sorry. No, it's fiesta. So, um... (sighs) Emily and I have the last few hours. We've been there for we got there right at one thirty when VIPs were allowed to enter, and then we left at five. We left at five, so we we got the full experience. So yeah, um, I don't think I, I'm pretty sure that the first time we ever went was whenever I participated as a vendor mm-hmm. with myself and a former student representing our school. And if I remember correctly, that was the first ever tacos and tequila fiesta. And you came to kind of help and kind of hang out. Yeah. That back then it was at the cigar warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember much from that first time and how it compared to this one? Honestly, I don't really remember a whole lot from that day. I don't think I like stayed very long, but I did appreciate that it was inside. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool being outside. It yeah. So cool. it wasn't terrible today. So it was at Trailblazer Park, uh, like we mentioned in the last episode. And it was the same venue that Matt Prater and I went to the um barbecue the barbecue uh southern roots barbecue festival um my only complaint now we're going to spend this whole little recap talking about positives and i think i told emily this at the fiesta my only complaint is there were more people i believe than were at the southern roots barbecue festival um and they had less space at the tacos and tequila fiesta uh so it was a little bit more packed in there and crowded i wish they would have maybe open it up a bit more but if that's my only com- complaint then it must have been a good fiesta wouldn't you agree i mean i guess i didn't really notice that it was like crammed it just felt kind of normal yeah to me. i was like oh, okay uh so it was the first 
fiesta mm. they've had since COVID. So it was kind of full blown back in action kind of thing. Uh, what were your initial thoughts, Emily, about the whole the whole event? I liked getting there a little early because we could kind of look at everything and see like what we wanted to try. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know. I liked it. I yeah. thought it was fun. Yeah, it was. It was nice. And and shout out to Tacos and Tequila Fiesta for hooking us up with the VIP tickets. Uh, we got to get in yeah. a little bit early to kind of walk around and scope things out. And honestly, I wish we would have scoped things out or got stuff quicker because once we were in there and they started letting general mission in, it filled up real quick. There were there was a line wrapped around the whole park. But I mean, even just like getting food, even in like the longest line, we maybe waited like three or four minutes. It yeah. wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. The lines weren't weren't terribly crazy. Um I believe if I'm remembering back to the interview with Mariah in the last episode that she said there were seventeen taco vendors. Today, I hit 10 of them. I feel like there were more. I feel like I heard someone say it was 21 tacos. Really? I swear I heard 21, but it might have been 17. If I'm wrong, we then We can I, average and say 19. Yeah. If I'm wrong, then I'm disappointed that I didn't hit at least half. Um, there was a lot of food. Um, mm-hmm. At the barbecue festival, I hit my meat sweats. I didn't get to the meat sweat <laughs> stage today, but um, I think I told Emily on the ride home that- I was full like five times. Yeah. Um, Emily went more for the beverage experience. Yeah, I had two tacos. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I had a, I had a feeling going into it that that's the way Emily was going to treat it. She was just going to have a couple of tacos and try all the beverages. I know. In the parking lot, you were like, how many tacos are you going to have? And I said two. <laughs> and you were like, I thought three, but I only had two. What Do you remember which two you had? I had the one that was the alligator one. And yes. then I had Charleston Sports Pub, which is the one I voted for. Okay, so Charleston's Nashville Hot Chicken. Yeah, Charleston Sports Pub had, which a lot of people before we ever had it kind of told us, hey, you got to try this one out um, to try their um, Nashville Hot Chicken with mac and cheese on it. And it was good. The, I, Emily can give her opinion on it, but my opinion was the chicken was good. The mac and cheese was eh mm. on it. What did you I thought it was really good. Yeah. I like the mac and cheese. They put a little pickle on it. And yeah. I love me a good pickle daddy. <laughs> and as y'all know, I don't, I don't like pickles. So coincidentally enough, I didn't even ask for one of those pickles. I think I grabbed them before you happened to put them on there. So uh, mine from Charleston Sports Pub did not have a pickle. Uh, the the alligator one you were talking about, that was from uh, Sonny's Grill and Greer. Um, that one uh, came on a yellow corn tortilla. Uh, and the alligator was like a sausage. Uh, the sausage was really good. Um, it's per- a little spicy. Yeah, it was it had a little kick to it. Uh, the rest of the taco wasn't really all that. It crazy fell apart about. the second I picked it up. Yeah, every every vendor we had that used corn tortillas um, either didn't steam them, toast them, or double them up because they all basically <coughs> fell apart, and you needed a sorry you needed a fork to uh, to kind of pick through them. Uh, so Emily had the um, the taco, the alligator taco from Sonny's, and then she had the Charleston Sports Pub Nashville hot chicken one, which was it was good. Um, I'm just not a big taco girl. Oh, yeah, I could take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean it, they're good. But. It's well documented on here that I'm not a big fan of the quote unquote white people tacos, which yeah, that was pretty much this whole event. Now my favorite, and it was not a white people taco, it was from Poppy's Tacos. Um, and it was their, it was basically their take on tacos out by store. But they did these really cool mini um, blue corn tortillas that they made from scratch with pineapple and red onion and cilantro, and then the typical pork that goes on there. So um, that was that was my personal favorite taco. Um, what was your favorite beverage? I know you indulged in a lot of the different beverages mm-hmm. there. Um, my favorite beverage was from Poppy's Tacos. It was like a hibiscus um, margarita, basically. It had a little rubber ducky in it. Yeah. That, that, that was like, I don't know. That was the selling it. point, but it was good. Yeah. I would have liked it anyway, but I liked the rubber ducky. Yeah. And that, I got, I went and I had two of those. So I was like, okay, I came no, back. You had three of them. Had three of them? Yeah. The oh, first yeah, time we went, you got one. And then the second, when you went for seconds, you got asked for two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went up there twice. I just know that. Yeah. But I had three of them. Poppy's was the first. Uh, uh, booth that we hit when we got. It was there. like right when you walked in. It was right to the right, so yeah. it was 
was good. And they did have the rubber ducky, and I think we asked the significance, and they were like, it's so you remember us by. So uh, we left before the final count. Um, Mariah, <laughs> my last guest on the last episode, she was there about to tally all the all the votes. So um, at this point, I'm not really sure who won the drink or the or the taco. But when will we know? I'd imagine they probably already announced it at the time of this recording. Um, it may be maybe even be on their social media. Um, We're gonna give an honorable mention though. What's the oh to camp. To camp, camp. Um, I know a couple people that work at camp. Um, when we went up to their booth, they were having fun. They were having the best freaking time. I wanted to be back there with them. <laughs> the two guys that were running their bar, and I did try their taco. The taco was good. I think that was the last taco that mm-hmm. I had. Oh, <gasps> hold on one second. But while before we finish with camp. I just pulled up Tacos and Tequila's Instagram page. I thought that was me for a second. <laughs> Literally there, thought that was me. There was this girl at, I can't even remember which vendor she was, but she she has this, what does that say? Was thoughts it? and prayers. Oh, yeah. She has a shirt that says thoughts and prayers, thoughts spelled like T-H-O-T, like that hoe over there. And it's like a girl kind of like dropping it down. It was a pretty funny t-shirt. I saw that and pointed out to Emily like right away. I would have taken that off her back if I could. <laughs> So I'm kind of scrolling through their uh, Tacos and Skills Instagram story now to see if they've posted. You know, it's going to be a minute. Who they have, uh, who's mm-hmm. won. Well, and might, of course, that might be what it is. Yeah. Oh, it says awards. we got to watch the video. We can't watch the video on here. seven minutes long. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to go off our Wi-Fi. This is just a little podcast improv. Who do you think won? I know who we voted for, but like, who do you think probably won? Um, that one that I I forget what what it's called. I told you that it was right next to Local Q on Orchard Park. Mm-hmm. Whenever we were putting our stuff in, they had a ton of uh, votes. You could kind of see into the little tube where everybody was dropping their coins. Um, and it looked like theirs was pretty daggum full. So that's that's who I think won. Let's see if I can scroll through their Instagram story and keep talking and. Make anyway, this. I'll talk about the wrestling because that was my favorite part. I could have sat there all day and watched everybody wrestle. Yeah, they had, uh, what do you actually call that? Is it Nacho Libre? That's just that movie. That's that movie. <laughs> Whatever that <laughs> like, style of Mexican wrestling. Well, I thought they, when you told me that when we first got there, I thought they were going to all be in like the masks and stuff, but it wasn't really like that. It was kind of just like local, like amateur wrestlers. Yeah. But it was so good. And what was the guy's name who won Booze Daddy or something? Oh, the redneck dude in the overalls? Yeah. That sounds right. Booze daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved him. And yeah, you're lucky he didn't come my way because he'd have lost your girl. Mr. Till your girl over there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Emily was uh, fully uh, involved with the wrestling that was going on. I know. When we first, when it first started, everyone was like so quiet. And you could just, it was just watching people wrestle and everyone was just like standing there. And I was like. Why is no one cheering or like anything? And finally, I think everybody started like drinking, and you could tell, like, okay, yeah, this is it. Yeah. Um, so the wrestling was awesome. That kind of um, we happened to get a table right next to the wrestling uh, area. So that was our entertainment. Yes, um, we met some cool people at our tables that mm-hmm. sat with us. Mm-hmm. Um, Mission Grill was one of my favorites. It wasn't my favorite. It was a play on the. Um, Korean pork buns. You said it was belly. one of your favorites, but it wasn't one of your favorites. It was one of my favorites, but it wasn't my my, my favorite oh. favorite. I was like, so? Maybe I misspoke. That was my third taco of the day. Um, but let's see. I'm going to kind of go in chronological order. Uh, I started with Nard's Barbecue. Uh, they had a burn-in taco. Then from there, I went to Tupelo's Honey or Tupelo Honey's uh, Low Country Boil Taco. The flavors in that were amazing, but Again, I go back to um, the corn tortilla. No one handled mm-hmm. their corn tortilla properly because they all ripped and broke and you ended up needing a fork for it. Yeah. Uh, but it had a little kick to it and it was nice. Um, one of the cool things, Sierra Nevada, they were the beer sponsor there and they had a tea West. It was, uh, what was that? It was a uh, It was like a tea. It was like almost like a White Claw, but that it was tea. Yeah. And it had like. No sugar in it, like 100 calories per thing. So it was like a white claw in that way, but it tasted better. And I don't normally like peach-flavored stuff, but that was good. Yeah. Only reason I stopped drinking it is because I let it sit for a second and it started getting, getting hot. Getting kind of warm, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but it was the, good. The can art on it was pretty cool. It's like a peachy salmon color. Um, I didn't try it, I don't think, uh, but it looked good. Like Did I? Yeah. Um, the bartender said that it was uh, something new they had. It hadn't been released yet, so be on the lookout for that. Um, and then, let's see, what else? Um, I've always been a fan of the hazy little thing from Sierra Nevada, uh, but the bartender recommended this other one they had there today, Sunny Little Thing. You know, it's a citrus weed ale. Um, and that was pretty good. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't have any 13 Stripes beer, so I can't highlight 13 Stripes um, in this particular festival or fiesta. Um, but just know 13 Stripes is superior than all of this. Okay. Who yeah. was the uh, tequila? Lunazul? Lunazul was a tequila sponsor, and all uh, the tequilas. I'll, sh- I'll shout out them. Yeah. We did a tequila tasting with mm. them. See, I can't drink just straight up tequila, so I have like I'd like put it on my lips. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm actually. Everyone like around us was like, "All right, shot number four, blah blah blah." <laughs> I was like, actually listening to the girl talk and like tell us about it and like just having all the notes taste. and I was yeah. Like, oh wow, that does have an oaky afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. That was part of our VIP pass, and again, shout out to the Fiesta for hooking us up with those. Um, Let's see. I think this is the one that ended up winning. We hadn't seen anything official, but how how would you say that? Khalifas? Khalifas is how I'd say it. C-A-L-I-F-A-S. Yeah. Khalifas, if I remember correctly, had the most amount of tokens in their little jar when we were voting at the end. Um, and it kind of makes sense to me. It was good. I would say a little too much salt and the beef was a little dry. But overall, the taco was pretty solid. Um, it was a Beardia taco, and that's like all the craze right now. Everybody's posting pictures of the tacos, dunking them in the consomme. Um, and overall, it was a good taco, so I understand why that one probably uh, won. Uh, after that, I ended up having Kamal 864, <clears throat> and that one was spicy. I had like some pickled uh, carrots and vegetables on top of I don't know if it was chorizo or not. I can't remember. Uh, I but think that one, it was. It looked spicy, too. Yeah, it had a little kick to it. Um uh, then my ninth taco was um, Society. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. They had the best in show at Artisphere. Um, Their, the booth design was the cutest, too. Yeah. Um, and that kind of fits in with Society. Their whole aesthetic with everything from their design of their restaurant to their merch and all that stuff is always real cool. So their whole setup at the the booth there was really cool. Um, they I think did it was a-, a little too warm out for their tequila drink. Yeah. It was just it was like a cereal. It was like a fruit loop one, which sounds really good. Yeah. But then you like <clears throat> excuse me, go to like drink it and you're like, oh my god, it's too sweet, it's yeah. too milky. Like uh, it was just a little not. Yeah, it was a cool me. concept. Um maybe but I was a different- sad because I was ready to try it. Yeah, I remember seeing the post about it on social media leading up to and was real excited. Uh, not to say that it was bad. I, I just don't know that today was the environment when it was 85 degrees. If I'd have been in inside, sun. I bet I'd loved it. That yeah. was just too hot. And they did a Kung Pao uh, chicken taco. So um, that was cool, too. And then the last taco I had, we talked about their margarita, uh, but camp. Um, yeah. I don't even remember what this was, if it was pork. It was or pork cheek. Pork cheek. Okay. Uh, topped with pickled onions and cilantro. It was good. Um, that was my last taco of the day, and I couldn't eat all of it. So I was literally just like picking bits of meat off of the off the taco with my fingers and eating it. But I voted for their their margarita as the as the best drink. It was it was the closest thing to a classic margarita, but it had some jalapeno or um pineapple infused with it and pork fat. So they called it their Al Pastor margarita. Mm-hmm. And like Emily said at the top, they were the most uh, entertaining bunch. Yeah, they had like a little like syringe type thing with like a dropper. A dropper with mm-hmm. like pork fat. I guess in it and like put it in every single margarita. It was good. And it was so funny. I, th- I think the, the, the gentleman <laughs> who was serving us, he may have uh, had some of his own beverages cause he was, he's pretty lively and I grabbed a, a margarita from him and then Emily was like, Oh yeah, I want one too. And then he sees me drinking mine and he goes, Oh, is that our mark? Where'd you get that margarita from? I'm like, literally 10 seconds, <laughs> not even 10 seconds like, later. I just grabbed this from you, man. And he's like, oh, okay. I thought you were just bringing somebody else's drink over here for us to drop the hand fat in. He's like, we'll put that stuff in everything. I was like, here, drop it in my beer. And they, they pulled the dropper out and dropped a little hand fat in my... Uh... You're like, will you hand my beer? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, will you hand my hand? And you put some on the back of my oh, yeah. hand, like a tequila shot like thing. And like, I just licked it off my hand. 
was good. So, yeah, I think overall it was a, a big success. Uh, Emily's real first true experience, honestly, my real first true experience, because the last time I went, I believe, was the first one they had, and I was a vendor, so I didn't really get a chance to partake. But mm-hmm. uh, how would you rate it on a scale of 10, 1 to 10? 8. 8. All right. So um, that is our... Security was on their shit, too. Oh, Yes. They were doing the damn thing. <laughs> some lady hopped out. She was on, she was, some, these two women were trying to like sneak in, I think. And this lady from security, man, she had her little knee brace and her little visor on. She come busting over there. She was like, you got to have a ticket like everybody else. And then she goes, you're not special. <laughs> and that was just like the quote of the day. You're not special. <laughs> you're not special. <laughs> So, yeah. So, yeah, security was on point. Um, everything was on point. It was really cool. Just the whole em- environment. They had, like, cool blankets out mm-hmm. uh, for people to sit out on the grass. And yeah. Um, overall, it was a great time. Uh, and thanks again to the Tacos and Tequila Fiesta for hosting us. Yes. And we look forward yeah. to next year. So, that is our recap. All right. Thanks for everyone that participated in today's episode. Um, And I know it's running long. We're already at the hour mark. Uh, But I can't let you get away without doing an 86 of the week. Um, So we're going to wrap up the show doing that. Um, And this is something that I now feel passionately about, but I didn't even consider until just the other day when it popped up as a random meme on my Facebook page. So uh, the meme says, iced coffee should be cheaper than the same size hot coffee. Because, like, half of what you're paying for is literally ice. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. And I'm a big iced coffee drinker, especially during the summer. Um, Why is iced coffee the same price, if not more, at a lot of these coffee shops than the the hot counterpart? Um, So much of that beverage is ice which is virtually free. Um, we're getting a less product. So, um, yeah, I'm 86ing uh, iced coffee prices um, because uh, my guilty pleasure is a Trenta iced coffee from Starbucks. And depending on which location you go to, it's anywhere from 450 to almost $5 uh, for 30 ounces of coffee. Uh, but then when you think about it, at least half that cup is ice. So 15 ounces of it is ice. Um, that's a bit ridiculous. So Starbucks, your local coffee shops, let's, uh, let's solve this problem. Um, I could be paying a lot less for that ice, ice coffee. And in reality, um, especially with gas prices, the way they are creeping up to almost $5 a gallon at this point, um, I think I'm going to start making my own iced coffee at home. Um, Starbucks, or as uh, Dave Ramsey would say, uh, five bucks is um, hurting the old budget. So uh, I am 86ing iced coffee prices. It is iced coffee season. It is getting hotter. Um, So let's do away with that. Um, But yeah. Thank you for everyone for joining in for yet another episode. Thank you to our sponsor. Thank you for Nachos and Analysis for presenting this podcast. And um, thank you to the listener for joining in. We couldn't do it without you. Without you, I'm just a guy in a microphone drinking beer recording in his apartment. So hope you all have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.